0: welcome. Happy Father's Day, as has been said. We're glad to have you here in this uh, house of worship. Um, I'm excited to be here. Uh, My name is Matthew. I am one of the pastors here at Veritas Church, and again, it's good to have you. Um, If you're new around, we'd love to get to know you better, so please swing by our new to Veritas table over there. We would like to, again, give you resources like Richard has already spoken and Just really encourage your hearts, really lean into you, like be the body of Christ. And so we have been going in this sermon series over the life of Jesus Christ, and we're into week three. And our hope and prayer is that you grow in your knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And for myself personally, I'm always amazed when I'm reading through the Bible reading plan or whatever, like I get to this, I get to the gospels and I'm like, oh man, like was that, I don't. Do I, I don't, do I remember that, you know? And it's important to come back to Jesus. You start at Jesus Christ and you can work your way back into the Older Testament and you can work your way out to the book of Revelation, right? But start at the core. There's this man, Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I love about our God is our God isn't in the clouds just directing and demanding his creation to do the stuff. I love that about our God. You know, you think about God and he's this holy, awesome being. And then you think about what he claims we are, which it it, it ain't good. It's not good, right? We are not holy, awesome beings, right? And we're like, how? How do I bridge that gap to your holiness? And he's like, I have a solution. I will send myself as Jesus and I'll bridge the gap between you and your brokenness and in your struggle and in your doubt and my holiness. And so we see that in Jesus Christ. So it's important as we come into even the story today and in the future weeks to realize that Jesus Christ is all human and all God. That's God math, okay? In pastor world, we always round up, okay? So if there were like 49 people there, we're like, at least a thousand. I mean, there was a thousand. We had no chairs left. Uh, people were sitting on each other's laps. Like we round up, okay? This is God math. 100% man, 100% God. When I see God face to face, I can be like, can you explain that to me? But right now I don't, I don't get it. And you might not either, so you're pretty normal, okay? But, but Jesus is Emmanuel. We talked about that two weeks ago. He is God with us, okay? And it might be a challenge for some of you because you've had this view that Jesus, you know, well, he walks like three inches off the ground and then he's got this like beautiful robe and this purple sash and he's just like, his face is just glorious. The sun shines off it and you're like, I can't, I can't relate to that guy. And I think as we study the life of Jesus Christ, we're going to realize that, one, none of us, he's not that guy, okay? And none of us have to relate to that guy. We're going to find Jesus is a real human being who walked the earth, who faced stuff that we face on a day-to-day basis. He faced what we faced. He faced weakness. Like, can you imagine God of the universe coming in the form of a baby? Coming in the form of a baby. Where are our babies at today? We got any babies in here? Maybe in the back room. All right, there's a, there's a room back there. For security reasons, don't go and check out the babies, right? But they're not very powerful. I mean, sure, their, their scream can split your head. I, re- I remember those days. But, but there's, you, you know, when I think of power, I'm not thinking a baby. Babies, they're powerful. Every time I see a baby, I'm crushed by the weight of their power. Yeah, no, not. I'm not. But, but Jesus comes and he experiences weakness. You have to imagine that you would see Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, all things were created through him and for him, okay? Having trouble putting food in his mouth. And Mary just being like, hey, I got you. Bloop. You got it? You're so cute. And, and this is our God. Come to earth, all human, right? Weakness. He experiences helplessness, right? And today, in the text that we're going to study, we're going to see that he experiences hunger. And more than that, he experiences temptation. Now, Jesus didn't have the internet. He didn't have social media. He didn't see the latest Chevy truck drive by on the road, certainly. But, like, at the root of those things, it isn't really about a truck. It isn't really about the internet, and it's maybe not like he didn't have a wife and he didn't have children. But probably a lot of our temptations aren't really about our wife or they're not really about our children. It's it's deeper than that. It Temptation probes to our heart. And so we see that Jesus Christ faces some of these things. And we have the opportunity because God is making a bridge between us and him. We have an opportunity to see a perfect example. But if you come into the this text on temptation today and you're like, he's God. He probably didn't quite feel it. Like he didn't, he didn't quite experience that like we experienced. The problem is you're probably going to come to the cross with that same idea. And you're going to be like, yeah, he was there and it looked bad, but was he really feeling it? I mean, come on, he's God. That's, that's a significant issue. If Jesus Christ is not who he says he is, we are in trouble. We have wasted many Sunday mornings where we could be out riding bikes together, okay? We could be out doing stuff. But but he is. He is who he says he is. And that's why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they write stories. They write stories about like, hey, this man, Jesus, he is the Christ, the son of God. In fact, John writes at the end of his letter, he's like, These things are written so that you might know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so perhaps you're in here even as a skeptic. And I I love that you're here. Put the stories to the test. If these stories are true, does this add up to the Christ? And it starts with God coming to earth. Emmanuel, God with us. You've heard it said maybe like he has walked a mile in your shoes. In some sense, he has. Jesus Christ walked in your shoes. Experienced what you have experienced from the time you were an infant to where you're at now. He sensed and felt temptation. So if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 4, and I want to ask the question to you then, what do you do with temptation? Every day we're bombarded with a million different things. Our kids are going berserk. They don't shut the lights off again in my home. I don't want to call out any... Three boys, but uh, the lights, okay? And again, this is a little bit of a dad thing. I mean, Father's Day, I mean, oh, the lights and the fan. And does the air conditioner have to be so low? And the heater in the winter, you know? And a lot of that is really just the Lord challenging my own heart, right? But in those things, we're challenged with how do I respond? Like, how do I respond when something isn't done my way? When something is different, it, I'm tempted. Okay, I'm tempted. Perhaps some of you have been, you know, you're raised in the glory years of the '90s and the '80s, maybe, right? Glory years. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yes, there you are, my people. All right, you've been raised in that, and there was a movement against drugs, right? And the motto that came out of that was just say, no. just say no, right? And you get this picture of a, the big bad guy sneaks up to you and is like. Hey. You want some drugs? And you're like, ah, no. And you just run away. Now, that's a suitable response, okay? Well, that's still acceptable. I'm not attacking that response. Say no. But uh, what I want to do to us, I want to challenge us, is is to change our view of what temptation is. Like, that certainly is a picture of temptation in a big sense. Like, an approach, right? But the problem is Satan doesn't come up to us in a red suit with his little horns and his fork and go like, ooh, get you, right? He, he's more blatant, more subtle than that. He, he's not out there to make a scene, okay? He's just going to take you down like one block at a time, kind of a slow fade for some of us, okay? And so when we think about temptation, like I'm pleading with you, like maybe you're in this room and you have an addiction to pornography. It, it needs to be addressed. If you have an addiction to alcohol, Those things destroy, certainly, you know, or drugs. Yes, let's fight that. But let's be real, some of us religious people. We don't struggle with the big five. We struggle with bitterness. I'm so bitter. How could they have done this to me? My own spouse, my own mother-in-law, my own father-in-law. Like, how could they do this? Or that neighbor, he moves that fence line one more time. We're going to, I'm going to deal with it. Anger, control, okay? Like, I'm talking to all of us here. They move the fence line, temptation slips in. How are you going to respond? Did that neighbor all of a sudden not become an image bearer of God? Is God slipped from his throne? Temptation, temptation, it creeps in, right? Or when your in-laws or when your brother or sister do something and you're like, Why? You know better than this. You know better than this. Why? Why do you do that? Temptation, right? It slips in. And it doesn't need to be on Sunday afternoon. It can be Monday. It can be Monday night. It can be Tuesday. It can be Tuesday night. I've had temptation slip in at 2 a.m. I wake up and I start raging. And it ain't against a machine. It's against a person, right? I start spinning out on something and and it's like what 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 is my response? How am I going to deal with this? So the question is, how do you deal with temptation when it comes up? And again, it's not just drugs. Praise God for many of us. It isn't drugs. But like how do we deal with the anger? How do we deal with anxiety? Man, the wheels start spinning. How am I going to respond to this? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? How do I save them? How do I save my children? How do I how do I lean into this? How do I provide? How? 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 What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How do we answer? How do it's going to happen? If it if it isn't actively happening to us right now. And the point that I want to drive home today, I want to build for you guys today is this. When temptation comes, fight back with what is written. When temptation comes and it will, Fight back with what is written. And I want to build a case for this. Like as you think of your temptation, whether it be your siblings, whether it be other family stuff, whether it be economy, whether it be relationships, like what? What do you do? How, does, how would Jesus encourage you to respond? Now, he's the perfect example, okay? And I don't want us to be like, well, he's Jesus. You can't put me up against Jesus. And I think, woe to us. If he's all man and has succeeded, it gives us hope that he might have something that we can lean into. And he gives us hope that when we fail, we can confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us. But that's the cross. Okay, I'm not going to get that far today. They didn't get me till three. Okay, so let's go to Matthew chapter four. And I want to talk about temptation. And I want to build that case for us here at Veritas And say, like, how do I respond? So Matthew 4, and I'm going to start in verse 1. Okay, let's get a context here. Jesus was baptized last week, right? Last week, Jesus baptized, right? The dove descends on him. The voice, the father speaks and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And Jesus Christ, you know, not a sinner, not needing to picture the transformation, shows that he's submissive to his father. He doesn't just send us as church people like, hey, you guys, go be baptized. Go get in dirty water. It'll be fun. Cattle tank. That'll be weird. Uh, you go do that. No, he provides us with an example. There's a story in the Older Testament about a king who was told to go wash himself in a river. And he's like, why would I go wash myself in a river? I've got rivers in my neck of the woods. I'll go back and swim in them. And he's challenged. He's like, no, do what the prophet says. And he humbles himself and dips in the river and and he's healed. There's a whole story. You should read it. Okay? But there's this picture for us too in his baptism of humility. I'm going to submit. I know who I am, but I know who he is. And I'm going to submit. Okay? So he's been baptized. He's submitting to the plan of God and the activity of God. Okay? So huge spiritual time. He's going to be on the mission of God. And so let's just read. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. All right. Did, did I read that right? Uh, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. That, that doesn't seem very Christian. But the Bible goes on. In fact, in Jesus' prayer, if you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, it says, In the prayer, right, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed. Be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? And towards the end it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The ministry, the calling, the Christianity of God is God shaping us, God changing us more into his image. And you get this picture of this human Jesus, right? 100% God, 100% man. Getting tested. Like, is he going to succeed? Is this man who is God going to fall into temptation? Because he feels like we feel. He has weakness like we have weakness. If you go to Judges chapter 3, we see that this is not the first time God has led anyone into temptation. Uh, Judges chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 and then I'm going to jump to 4. Context is always important. Be sure to check this out. But in Judges chapter 3 verse 1 it says this. Now these are the nations that the Lord, that Yahweh left to test the people of Israel by them. That is all of Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan. I'm jumping to 4. They were there for testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord. Which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, uh, and the Jebusites. Okay, God has left them. They were told to go into Canaan and, like, clean out the land. These people are going to be a distraction. They're going to be a pain for you. But they're like, you know, we're kind of tired of war. And the problem is they had these ready, this ready access to temptation. And eventually, over time, when the testing happened, these people fall on their face. They're like, you know what? That Jebusite lady, she's pretty hot. God, you, are you providing me a wife? Like, how are you doing this? You know, I I can just go visit the neighbors. It'll be great. I'll be happy and I'll feel love. I'm going to go with the Jebusites. And they reject the plan of God that is at the heart of sin. That is at the heart of temptation. God has a way, God has a plan. And they're like, yeah, no, yeah, I'm going to just take this shortcut. It'll be great. I'll be happy, right? I'll be happy. I'm just going to visit the Jebusites. And you know what? It doesn't stop there. Like, we think that, hey, I'm going to take this shortcut, God, and then it will stop. I'm just going to do this, and that'll be it, right? It doesn't stop there. They start worshiping these people's gods. That's offensive to a holy God. You cannot have any other gods, right? And so the people just take and they fail the test miserably. Let's go on to the Newer Testament. Let's go to James chapter 1 and check out what it has to say about trials, temptations. Well, James says this. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials, temptations, tests of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. And that steadfastness have full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. These trials, these tests, they're going to shape you. They're going to hopefully strengthen you. I think of all the trees and derecho that were blown back and forth by the wind. Maybe it was a little bit too extreme, but some of that should strengthen you. When you go out and lift weights or, or do something with your muscles, it's the tearing that produces strength. Where your bones have been broken, those seams, if they healed properly, are very strong. A weld in a steel rod is incredibly strong and borderline impossible to break. But it's in these trials that God works and that God strengthens. So don't see them as a loss. And so Jesus is out there and it's like, who are you, Jesus? Sure, you submitted to baptism, but when you're lured by this, how are you going to do? Well, let's let's see how he does. Going back to Matthew chapter four. It says this in verse two. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh. I mean, I don't don't know how you feel about that. Thank you, Captain Obvious. But after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. Temptation comes to us. In very practical forms, notice a couple things. It sounds like Genesis three, right? Did God really say did God really say there's no upfront like God didn't say that. if you are the Son of God, if did God like I don't, you don't have to be like yes or no, but like just just wonder, did, did God is God really Lord? And he tempts Jesus. And he does it very practically, right? We're talking about bread here to a man who's hungry. I think a lot of us like to deal with like, man, if I was in a car wreck, I'd handle it this way. You know, the kind of these, these big things. And, and there's something to be thought of, right? But oftentimes, like when you're hungry on Monday, like how do you behave? When you drop the hammer on your toe, how do you, what, what comes out then? Right, I'm not trying to like, Like, minimize sin. I'm trying to say, like, man, I need a savior. It's the everyday, it's the Tuesday afternoons and the Thursdays. It's not always these epic things of, I don't know, chaos or death or adultery or something always mega. It's these little things. How how do we respond? This, I would say, isn't necessarily a little thing. I mean, Jesus Christ has been out there 40 days and 40 nights. I can barely make it 40 minutes without a cookie. I mean, you guys might not have expected it to be that personal, but it's tough, right? 40 minutes, 40 hours, 40 days. The medical people tell us that much more and you'll damage your body. And Jesus, in his weakest state, the devil comes and just starts spurring like doubt. Just, hey, did God really say? Are you really, if you're the son of God comes to us in practical forms but how does Jesus respond how does Jesus respond now he's a rock maker could he not be a bread maker as well he responds in verse 4 quoting from Deuteronomy he says but it is written it is written there's a bread issue in front of him there's a hunger issue in his gut and he responds with the word of God it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so then you're like, okay, Jesus, well, where's the mouth of God? And where is he dropping his words? Uh, get inside me. Fill me up. Give me your words. I want to be hungry. And that's not necessarily how it is, but it's this reality that the spiritual has trumped. It has gone past the physical. The truth of God's word is sustaining him whether he lives or whether he dies. I mean, if he were to die, he'd be with the Father. And in his suffering, God is providing. He knows that his Father hasn't left him or forsaken him. He knows that they wrote a plan before the foundation of the world. And these words of God are sustaining his physical hunger. Can the words of God sustain you when your kids are driving you insane? and the truths of God's word can you hold your hat on them can you hang on to them as a stabilizing bar when you're walking through some of the most difficult times in your life and brothers and sisters you can and Matthew is primarily writing to the Jews here and they know their story they were in Egypt they walked across the red sea on dry ground and they were in the wilderness God led them to the wilderness. And at least in slavery, they had a plan for food. But now I'm out in the wilderness. Where's the trees? Where's the fruit? What am I supposed to feed my kids? Shall we all catch a snail or a lizard? And we'll feed, well, there's 400,000 of us. And they knew their ancestors had complained against the Lord. And in the wilderness, approached with the temptation of the devil, Jesus doesn't complain. He knows that God has a purpose and a plan, and he doesn't back down on the purpose and plan. God was going to take him through it. So let's go to plan B. Uh, The devil shows up, and he's like, hey, that didn't work, so uh, let me me try again here. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7 says this. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, or the holy city, and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. It's almost like the devil took a clue from Jesus' words. You're going to say it is written? Well, I, I got a Bible verse for you. This comes out of Psalms. You wonder, like, did David know that how his words were going to get used? Who knows? But let's check out Psalms 91, verses 9 through 14. It says this. Because you have made the Lord, Yahweh, your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge... No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot because he holds fast to my love. I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. And so while temptation can be in practical things, I think temptation can come to us As doubt, as little doubts. God, did you let me strike my foot against a stone? Certainly you were sleeping when I was walking through this difficult time. Where are you? I have fallen down. And Jesus has offered this, right? I mean, it would have been a huge, it would have been mega significant if Jesus would have been like, okay, I'm doing it. But a lot of us fall to this temptation regularly. We go into meetings unprepared. Eh, God's got me. We have these gifts and abilities that God has given and we just sit on our hands. God will do it. Meh, whatever. At least that's how I struggle with it. I think on the flip side, it's again that temptation of like, God doesn't know that I'm struggling right now. And he's just totally failed. He's probably sleeping. Probably off helping someone in a different nation. And, and I'm here. And, and this comes better in a relationship. But like. Stop. Stop it. You are not the person. Your marriage is not the marriage. Your situation is not the situation that God was like, oops. That would be a tremendous character flaw in who our God is. We say, like, where has God been? But but we look at the gospel to those of you who are saved, and we say, God has shown up. Maybe we're looking for him in the wrong places. And some of us are like, well, I'm just going to throw myself down and see if that will make him throw up. Show up, not throw up. That would be weird. I'm just going to throw myself down. Maybe if I wallow another day in my misery, God will show up. Show up. And God's like, I've led you into this place. I'm standing right here. The Israelites, they were led into temptation in the wilderness. There was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And they're like, where are you? Jesus responds to this temptation with this out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus responds in Matthew 4 verse 7. Jesus said to him, again it is written. He's going back to the word. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It is untrue that God isn't with you. No matter what time of day, no matter what week, no matter what season, that is impossible based on his character. Don't put the Lord to the test like that. And there's another way that this is taken. And I want to warn you about this that not everybody that quotes scripture is a Christ follower. Not everyone that spews Bible verses, oh, I got one for this, I got one for this, I got one for this. Is a Christian. Here you have Satan. Like, he doesn't mess this up. He misuses it. But he doesn't twist it. And we see this in, like, the prosperity gospel that you're going to get wealth and health and prosperity. You just got to follow Jesus, and it'll be great. Like, look at Jesus. He's in a wilderness. He's in a wilderness, and then he dies on a cross and to be raised up. That sounds healthy and awesome you're following a leader who died. God will walk you into temptation. God will shape your life. He is going to rub off the the dark spots. He is going to dive into the dark closets. He is God. And he's not pursuing your happiness. He's pursuing your holiness. God's going to go to places you don't want him to go. You can't just be angry your whole entire you can't just be anxious your whole entire life. He says, here I am, like I love you. I care about you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I can pierce the loneliness. I can address this. He's not just going to leave you there. Don't test God in these ways. Watch out for fools who use Bible verses. Got another one for that. Got another one for that. Satan used Bible verses. He knew the Bible well. So, third thing, right? Third time's a charm, right? Matthew 4, verses 8 and 9 says this. The devil took him to a very high mountain, showing him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And this is where I think Satan cuts to the chase. Like, this is what this is about. I don't, I don't think this is about bread. I don't think this is about the temple I think this is about the worship, all of this. Just just worship me. I mean, that's what it's about. Like, I'm not tempting you to eat. I'm tempting you to worship. And by worship, I'm tempting you to doubt God and worship me. Like, here's a shortcut. We'll just do it this way. It'll feel great or it'll numb your pain. It's all good. Let's just do this. Uh, We can make it fast, simple. If you fall down and worship me, and, like, what authority does Satan actually have, right? I mean, in in Luke, it talks about them in a moment, like, traveling. So through time, through space, right, they see all the kingdoms of the world, Great Britain, probably uh, the end of the Roman Empire, probably the United States, and the, all the glory, like, all the impact that these nations would have in the world. He sees it all, and he's like, hey, I'll give this to you, right? You just worship me. Like, what would he have lost if Jesus worships him? But Nonetheless he says it that way and John talks about Satan being or the devil being the prince of the world, right? Literally verses before he takes it away. Okay? There's there's no like Jesus Satan. They're they're not brothers, if you've ever heard that story. They're not brothers. Right? Satan's power down here, Jesus is Lord. Satan unleashed, drawn back in in Revelation, he's been grabbed, put in a pit. It's no big deal. There is a Lord. Satan ain't him. God wins. Okay? There's the, this isn't happening. But the, it gets to this heart of this matter. Like, is God going to provide for your needs, Jesus? Or are you dying in the wilderness? Is God going to give you his authority? Is God going to maintain you, sustain you, be with you? And the answer through scripture, it is written is, yes, yes, yes. And the devil says, but we've got a shortcut. We can have it now. We can have it today. And some of us, when it comes to temptation, we're just like, man, if I just drink a little bit, I'll have a few hours of peace. And that makes sense. Like, I get that. The world is crazy, and alcohol can numb your pain for a couple hours. A little sex outside of marriage, it's pleasurable. It's still pleasurable. But God says, trust me, wait. I will sustain you in your singleness. I will sustain you when you're separated. I will sustain your pain. Can I sustain your pain? And so Jesus doesn't necessarily coming at it from that, but there's this constant temptation. You want power and the kingdoms? I'll give them to you. You can have them today. And that's his motto. His motto is, hey, quick, let's do this now. We can just do this. It'll be short, it'll be sweet. Abraham and Sarai, they were told... When they were super old, hey, you are going to have a child. And they're like, that's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And they begin to wait. And they're like, where are the promises of God? He said we're having a child and we know he's true. Let's intervene in his promises. We'll make a way, right? And so they connive a plan to have a child. And you know what? It works. But that is not what God called them to do. It might have been less about having a child and more about trusting that God was going to do a work. And Abraham and Sarah were like, we're trying to cover your tail. You said child. We didn't have a child. We went from 80 to like 90. We thought we would help you out. Like, we want you to look good, God. And God says, I will bring life. And I'll do it in my timing, in my miraculous way, so that no one can get the glory And Satan said to them, he's not coming. It's not going to happen. Take your slave. You can have a child. And they acted. They superseded God's plan. They jumped. So Satan makes an offer to God. Jesus, here you go. I'll give you the world right now, supposedly. Jesus doesn't take it. Jesus trusts the Father. It's the calling for us. He demonstrates this time and time again. Trust the Father. Trust the Father, church. In his timing, he'll give you a spouse. In his timing, you will get married. In his timing, you'll get the job. In his timing, you'll be provided for. But trust him in the meantime. Trust him in the meantime. Trust him. Go back to it is written. And again, I think this is the the heart of temptation, testing to see who we worship. Jesus, you, you showed a sign, you got baptized, good for you, you're with God. But what about temptation? Let's go on the negative side. So baptism is positive, temptation is negative, okay? So we see that in temptation, it is not a sin, but acting on temptation is sinful. When you short who God is, this is how we can relate. If it's the pickup truck, you're like, Jesus didn't have a pickup truck. He only had a mule, okay? So maybe he's jealous of his neighbor's mule, right? The heart of those two issues is exactly the same thing. God, you want me to drive around in this clunk of junk another year? God, you have not provided me with enough financial resources so I can get the pickup I want. God, what are you doing? Or maybe more significantly, God, you've, like, you fail. Like, that which God brought together, let not man separate. God, you failed me in a spouse. I'm going to go look at some pornography. God, you, you failed me. God, I'm a single person, and I need to get to this point, but I need to feel loved. And you are showing me, you are withholding that depth of relationship from me. I cannot survive without this intimacy in my life. You are failing me, so I will take a shortcut. That is sin. That is falling to temptation. Jesus trusts the Father. Trust the Father, right? God's going to give him power. God's going to give him authority, right? In verse 10, Jesus says to Satan, be gone, right? This isn't a question of who's going to win. Is Satan going to punch him in the face? no. Because Satan is far less superior than Yahweh. God wins. Be gone, Satan. Boom. What does the next verse say? He leaves. It doesn't say it next. Sing of another verse. But it says, Jesus says, You shall worship. Again, it is written, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. It's the calling to us as believers. Through Jesus, we have an awareness that God is on His throne, that He can work through my singleness, that He can work through the brokenness of my marriage that he can work through my sickness, that he can work through death. That's the hope I have because of Jesus Christ. When I want to be comfortable and just want to be lazy. God can work through the situation in my family room this afternoon. And he can shave off parts of my heart that are wicked and want control and peace. God is shaping me. He's changing me. James chapter 4 verse 7 is an encouragement to you and I. It says this, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's this picture that in Jesus we can fight temptation here. Okay, Not all of us are tempted by the devil. If any of you see the devil show up in your home, uh, you're probably going to be scarred pretty significantly. You're probably going to talk about it. We have hard hearts. Certainly there are demons as well. I'm not negating them either. But a lot of us, I'd say 100% of us in this room have hard heartedness issues. We have our old self that keeps creeping up and saying, take a shortcut, take a shortcut, take a shortcut, take a shortcut. This is hard. This is painful. Why do I work at this job? These people are mean. They're hard on me. Why do I go to this school? Why am I in this class? This is hard. I don't want to endure, like get me out. And God is saying, let me shape you. Let me work on your patience. Let me grow your view of the gospel so you share it with your neighbor or your coworker. I'm doing something, God has said to us. So the question stands, what do you do when faced with temptation? With the internet, with your wife, with your kids, with your in-laws, the Chevy pickups, or maybe the Fords, if you go that way. These things reveal things about our worship. It is just a pickup, it is just a landline. But it reveals something so much greater in us. And man, folks, we need a Savior. As I study this, I see how I fall to temptation so easily. I just get angry. I'm not punching any holes in the walls, but I'm bitter. I want control. Do this my way, do this this way. And God says, I'm in control. The silence in your house doesn't eternally matter. And you have me, and I am enough. And I'm like, well, I want you, and I want silence. Is that okay? Let's spiritualize it a little bit. It'll be better. And he's just like, I got you. His word says I got you, okay? So how do we do this practically? Matthew Morkin, when I preach, I get nervous on Thursdays. I don't understand why. But Thursday night, I am gripped by this fear that I will show up in mismatched shoes, or maybe I'll just come in my underwear, okay? That would be a problem. And it's irrational. Like my goodness, I am over forty years old. Could I have not gotten over this when I was sixteen? It's crazy, right? And these lies start spinning in my head. They're going to hate me. They're not going to like what I said. Somebody's going to be mean. You know, just it's just baloney. Absolute lies, right? And so where I go to in the Word is Philippians four four through seven. It says, "Rejoice in the Lord." Not my situation. Always rejoice in the Lord. He's never changed, right? Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. God is here. Right? Be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, and we don't get it, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I quote that, and my anxiety just goes away. No, it doesn't. I still am nervous, still have trouble sleeping. Drives me nuts. Happens almost every time so far. But you know, you know what happens there? Is that my truth and my scenario are speaking, hey, you're, like, you're going to probably fail. Like God isn't going to be with you. He's, he's probably going to be sleeping that Sunday morning. He needs a rest. He's God and sovereign. We always talk about that. Like, he probably will drop the ball. There will just be mean people there. It will be terrible. And you'll be eaten alive. And those are lies. Because scripture says that God will be here. Okay? It's a very practical thing from speaking to you all and sitting at home on Thursdays. And the tempter comes in there and says, doubt God, doubt God, doubt God, doubt God, doubt God, doubt God. That is the heart of his message to you, whether it be alcohol, whether it be adultery, whether it be pornography, whether it be anger, whether it be control, whether it be bitterness. It says, doubt God, doubt God, doubt God. He's going to fail you and what i tell my little feelings some days it's better than others is that this is true and you are lying to me and so church this is just my story you might do it a different way but i want to plead with you to be people of the word to dive into your bible reading plans and know what has been written this is how god acted to israel when they were in doubt this is how god acted to israel when they were angry this is how god acted to israel Israel is, in that sense, is gone. Those people's bones have turned to powder, but God is still alive. And he is active in 2023. And his character, he exudes it. It's available to you. It's available to me. Tell your feelings to wrap yourselves around those truths. Know what has been written. Memorize scripture. The text I quoted to you, I said, I've said to myself, This isn't pastor math. (laughs) I probably said it to myself over a thousand times. And again, like I quoted a Bible verse and my anxiety doesn't just drop off. But it's true. And my feelings in that moment are not. God is at work. God is at work. God is doing something. And I know who the weak link in that story is. It's this guy. But he is telling the truth. He loves me. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. He's called me to himself before the foundations of the world. He's not going to, just like he was not going to abandon Jesus in the wilderness. Like, oh, you're going to die. He's with me. Church, let's be a church that leans into the word. Leans into the truth. And we see at the end of our text that God sends the angels. And they feed Jesus Christ. They give him sustenance. God didn't abandon him out in the wilderness. God provided for him at the right time. So Jesus walks through the temptations perfectly and gives us the hope that we need to walk through temptation. And not just the temptation to murder somebody or do drugs, though those things might be on your mind. It's the temptation to process your anger, the temptation to lash out in control or bitterness or whatever attacks you. God gives us a picture. He bridges that gap. So folks, lean into the word. It is written, applies to those practical things in life Or God's a liar. He speaks the truth. Let's pray together. God, I'm thankful for your church. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. God, I love how you have not only commanded, but you care enough to give us the way or give us direction. God, and in Jesus Christ, we see this lived out. Father, I don't know everybody's story in this room, but I know there's temptation. God, primarily because I'm tempted. Father, I pray that we would consider like, who are you, God? That you would stir in us a hunger to know you better. God, that when the tempter comes and offers us shortcuts for our relationships, shortcuts for our pain, shortcuts for... Um, there's so many things. God, that we would see that you have a greater plan. But help us know you so that we can trust you in that. God, I pray. I pray for the scenarios that are out there. God, may they sense that you're peace over them. God, that you are doing something greater. Lord, you are very good. Um, help our unbelief. Help us trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.